This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Good morning, church. Good morning. The Lord is risen. Well, we're going to work on that a lot over the next few minutes. Ricky did a great job of introducing us to it, but we're going to, we're going to use that a lot this morning. So let's get some practice. The Lord is risen. That is much better. I hope you don't mind that I'm wearing a new suit today. Um, I would not ordinarily, but my wife found this tie, and she really liked it, so she bought a suit to go with it. <laughs> so I wanted to honor her today by wearing this new suit that she bought. It all started with a tie. So, fellas, if you ever see a tie that you really like, um, let your wife know, and you may get a whole outfit out of it. It is great to be here on Easter Sunday, and I so appreciate Ricky's great worship leadership. I can tell you, I'm in, I'm in a different church every Sunday. I'm sort of a, a nomadic preacher as a district superintendent, and uh, I'm, I've been in this role, I'm in my fifth year, and he just did the finest casting of the offering that I have heard in my entire five years in this role. So he is a wonderful, wonderful worship leader, and um, I know he has been a gift to this church, and uh, we are all disappointed that uh, he will not be able to stay with us in North Carolina, but uh, we'll be going back to Texas, so if you have any influence with anybody in Texas, if you would petition them to petition Ricky's bishop to let him stay with us in North Carolina, he is a great gift to the church. Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 20, the first 18 verses. It's a long scripture, but I invite you to hang with us as we read uh, St. John's account of that first resurrection morning. You can follow on the screen. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from from the tomb. So she ran, don't you love that? She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together. There's a lot of running in this scripture. Not a lot of running in the Bible, but a lot of running in this scripture. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. He went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, 
and I do not know where they have laid him. When Jesus said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, in these words we have read and heard the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. Would you imagine with me a funeral? The preacher is delivering the funeral sermon. He is delivering the eulogy over the deceased person's uh, body. And suddenly, the guest of honor, the corpse, pops up out of the casket. (laughs) It happened. It really happened in South Africa. A man named Talehi George Sogve decided to fake his death as a test. Here's what he said about it. I wanted to know what people would say about me when I'm dead. (laughs) Then he said, I'm satisfied they spoke the truth about me and not lies. Now, George said he was going to save the coffin for his real funeral which could come sooner than he's anticipating (laughs) if he keeps pulling stunts like that. Now, this true story came from an article entitled, A Tisket, A Tasket, I'm Coming Out of the Casket. (laughs) (laughs) How many of you have heard the phrase, I wouldn't be caught dead wearing that? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Keep those hands up high now. It's probably just people of a certain generation. Ricky, you've never heard that. Oh, you have, okay. All right, how many of you have actually said that you've looked at someone disapprovingly of what they were wearing and you said to yourself or to someone else, I wouldn't be caught dead wearing that? Just raise your hands. Let's get a show of hands. Most of us have. Well, here's a great question for us today. What would you be caught dead wearing? (laughs) What would you be caught dead wearing? About a decade and a half ago, White Light Company, a new company at the time, introduced what they called the art casket, the art casket, for those who wanted to be caught dead in something unique. No longer would the discriminating customer be limited to traditional coffins. Now, this was their advertising spiel, and I'm quoting White light can assist you in selecting a casket that not only houses your loved one's body, but it also serves as an epilogue echoing the richness of a life fulfilled. Whether bold or vivid or soft and subdued, they are as unforgettable as the life 
they commemorate. <laughs> the owners of White Light Company reckoned that people today wanted everything tailored specifically to their personal sense of style. One of the owners of the company said this, My generation craves choice and personal expression. That's what this is, he said, your final statement. So, if you were a golfer, you might enjoy their fairway to heaven casket model. (laughs) Other popular art caskets included a depiction of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the national flag of Ireland, and a beach scene. If you and your family had a sense of humor, you might choose the art casket portraying a postal package which said in bold red letters, Return to Cinder. (laughs) By the way, the White Light Company sold over 200 art caskets in their first six months of operations. <laughs> now, really, that's not a new idea, is it? Millennia before White Light Company thought of personalized caskets, uh, many cultures, many ancient cultures were doing that, especially the Egyptians. Recall our immense fascination surrounding the 3,500-year-old coffin of a 16-year-old king whom we have come to know as King Tut. Craft of stones, gold, and glass, King Tut's coffin makes quite an impressive final statement. If you'd like to see a virtual tour of it, just Google it online and you can find it. For the ancient Egyptians, much like the customers of White Light Company, a coffin told a story. A coffin made a statement. At the center of this scripture, which we just read from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, the first 18 verses, there is a tomb, there is a coffin, there is a casket, if you will. You remember from the scripture reading that Mary Magdalene and John and Simon Peter raced to the tomb They run to the tomb, and what they found there was indeed remarkable. The tomb of Jesus told quite a story. The tomb of Jesus made quite a final statement. The tomb of Jesus was empty, barren, blank, bare. Nobody there, literally. It was not a delusion, it was not an illusion nor was it a case of coffin confusion. The tomb was empty. Jesus had risen from the dead. Sisters and brothers, that is the gloriously glad good news we celebrate on this Easter Sunday. The Lord is risen. That's pitiful. The Lord is risen. Yes, thank you. This is the central core conviction of Easter. This is the capstone of the Christian faith. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Karl Barth was a great theologian, a Swiss theologian of the 20th century, considered by by many to be one of the greatest theologians in the entire history of the Christian church. 
And Bart wrote, the Christian community is the Easter community. Our preaching is Easter preaching. Our songs are Easter songs. The Christian faith is an Easter faith. The confession of Easter is that God made the final statement, which trumps all other final statements. Hear what I'm saying? In the resurrection of Jesus, God made the final statement that trumps all other final statements. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. Why? Why? Because Jesus wouldn't be caught dead in that tomb. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Jesus wouldn't be caught dead in that tomb. The resurrection of Jesus means that life is stronger than death. Hope is stronger than despair. Truth is stronger than falsehood. Good is stronger than evil. The resurrection of Jesus means that light is stronger than darkness, that faith is stronger than fear, that love is stronger than hate. The resurrection of Jesus means that God is stronger than the powers and the principalities of darkness. Amen? I like to say amen, so just just pretend with me. (laughs) Jesus is risen, friends. The tomb echoes with emptiness. I was there back in February. I walked in it. I walked out of it. Nobody was there. Jesus is risen. The risen and living Jesus, friends, does not want us to be caught dead either in our self-imposed tombs. The risen Jesus wants us to be caught alive in him, by him, through him, with him, because of him. You see, the same Jesus who walked the dusty roads of Galilee in Judea is the same Jesus who walked with you and me today. Christ the Lord is risen today, Charles Wesley famously wrote. The risen Christ beckons us to be caught alive, to be brought alive in him, with him, through him, because of him. He beckons us to be caught alive in a life that is filled with meaning and purpose. He beckons us to be caught alive in a life which involves being forgiving and extending forgiveness to others. He beckons us to be caught alive in a life which is generous and giving and serving and sharing. Christ beckons us to be caught alive in an empowered and not a defeated life, a hope-filled life, a future-looking life. Christ beckons us to be caught alive in a life that is truly much more expansive than we could ever even think or imagine. Christ beckons us to be caught up in this new life that only Christ can give. Imagine a funeral. (laughs) You were 17 years old. You're male, white, You've only been to about two funerals in your life, and now you are attending an African-American funeral. It's different than what you've experienced before. Your friend, 17-year-old Clarence, has died. The preacher is magnificent, stunningly magnificent. He talks about the resurrection of Jesus with such power and such passion that you almost wish you were dead so that he could preach your funeral. (laughs) 
The preacher comes down out of the pulpit and softly, gently, almost a whisper, speaks words of comfort to the family. The moment is so still and so tender, you could hear a pin drop. Then the preacher goes over into the open casket and starts preaching to Clarence. He starts preaching to the corpse. Clarence! Clarence, he thunders. Any minute you expect Clarence to pop up out of the coffin. Clarence, you died too soon, the preacher said. You got away without us thanking you. For 20 minutes, the preacher preaches to the corpse of Clarence. And he recounts all the wonderful things that Clarence did for people. Then abruptly, the preacher said this, That's it, Clarence! When there's nothing more to say, there's only one thing to say. Good night, Clarence. Then he slammed the lid of the coffin and yelled, Good night, Clarence. Good night, Clarence. Then the preacher pointed to that closed casket and said with thunder in his voice, Good night, Clarence. Because I know, yes, I know, that God is going to give you a good morning. (laughs) With that, the choir jumped to their feet and started singing, On that getting up morning we shall rise, we shall rise. On that getting up morning we shall rise. On that getting up morning we shall rise, we shall rise. Well, the congregation got to their feet. They were clapping their hands. They were hugging one another. They were dancing. They were laughing with crying with joy. It was a sight to see. Doesn't that sound exactly like something God would do? (laughs) Take a funeral and turn it into a celebration. (laughs) That sounds exactly like something God would do because that's exactly what God did do on that first Easter morning, that first getting up morning, God took a funeral and turned it into a celebration. The Friday, the funeral was Friday. Jesus was crucified on Friday. The burial took place on Friday. The viewing at the cross took place on Friday. He was laid in the tomb on Friday. But friends, now Sunday is here and the burial The the crucifixion, the body are gone. Now it's Sunday and Jesus is risen because he wouldn't be caught dead in that tomb. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Friends, the Lord is risen. Lord, help him. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen, risen, friends. So let's sing and dance and laugh and hug and cry tears of joy. (laughs) The Lord is risen. Glory. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen.
On that night in which Jesus met with death, you remember that he gathered with his disciples in an upper room. He shared a meal with them. He washed their feet. And also we remember that he took bread and broke it. And he gave it to the disciples saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, we are told, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you, for this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many. Do this as often as you do it, he said, in remembrance of me. So on this Easter Sunday, on this Resurrection Sunday, we do this in remembrance of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Would you bow with me in prayer? Loving God, pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here this morning. And pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them to be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by Christ's blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. And this we pray in the name of the one who is risen, and the one who teaches us to pray as his followers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.